Well, greetings, Cove Church. It has been an extraordinary couple of weeks, hasn't it? We have a new president, maybe, sort of, we're not sure. Uh, we have the continuation of the coronavirus pandemic. We have economic struggles. We have cultural changes. And if there is one thing I think it is safe to say is that none of us have ever been this way before. This is uncharted territory. But the good news for us is that when you have a relationship with Jesus, we actually know the one who makes the charts and who created the territory. See, as we know in the very words of Jesus, he said, I am the way, the way for our world, the way for our nation, and the way for us personally. Jesus wants to order our steps, to, to guide us through what often can feel like a dense fog in the midst of our lives. Jesus wants to direct us. And as we continue through the book of James in our MOVE series, we will see how clear, how even explicit the directions of Christ is to us. It's going to leave very little room for us to wonder. See, if you live in the Eugene area, there's a whole lot of road construction going on right now, especially around Delta and Beltline around that area. And that's how I get back and forth to the church. So I'm there all the time. And although it feels like that work is, is taking forever, I also know that a lot is happening because it seems like almost every week I'm asked to go a different way. Sometimes I'm asked to merge left. Sometimes I'm asked to merge right. Sometimes I'm asked to merge like a zipper. Evidently, nobody uses zippers because we don't know how to merge like a zipper. It's like a Velcro generation. But still, we try to merge like a zipper. And, and, and all of these different ways to go any given week, I find I'm asked to go a new way. And because of those changes, I find myself hyper alert to the road signs. Because whatever is happening on those roads, I know one thing is clear, the road today is not the same as it was yesterday. So my only way through is to follow the signs. That to me is what this passage in the book of James does. It's just like road signs to us. They are not subtle. They are not soft. These road signs do not use a lot of flowery language. You never see a road sign out there that says, by the way, if it isn't too much trouble, would you mind just moving ever so slightly to the left? And then, of course, if you could merge back with love and care into traffic, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. You never see a road sign that says that. No, it says merge left. It's blunt. That, to me, is the way James writes. And it certainly is a big part of James chapter 5. It is James placing for us these road signs to God's kingdom. The language is not subtle. It is not obtuse. He speaks bluntly. He speaks plainly. Because just like a road sign, if we don't get this, we are in trouble. So let's take a look and hopefully yield to what I am calling the road signs of the kingdom. Here's the first thing I point out. We are called to live in an eternal economy. We are called to live in an eternal economy. Let's read the passage, James 5, 1 through 6. Let's read it right where you are. Big voices, go. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. 
You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now, I told you it was blunt. (laughs) Even harsh, isn't it? James is not pulling any punches here. The language speaks for itself, but what I would point out is this fact. Knowing the truth does not automatically insulate me from living a lie. Just because I know the truth doesn't mean I'm automatically going to live it out. James is echoing what Jesus has said in other places, that the stuff of this world, it doesn't last. Whether it's money or wealth or, or things, it rots, it corrodes. Remember when Jesus said, you're supposed to store up treasures in heaven, the stuff that doesn't rot away. So James is not out on a limb here. He's simply saying what Jesus had said another way. James is saying it in a road sign kind of way. See, no matter how full our stock portfolio is today, the one guarantee we have about it is that one day it will be worth nothing. We know that to be a fact. Even those without relationship with God would admit you can't take any of this stuff with you. And yet, these material things, they try to consume our affections and to numb us from what really matters. It's a sham. It's a mirage. Yet, like those lost wanderers in the desert, we, we run to it and try to seek it all the more. And the message we see throughout Scripture is that we are counting on the wrong things to fulfill us. We're counting on the wrong things to complete us, to save us. We're missing it. We are esteeming things that have no worth in heaven, while at the same time we're neglecting things that have infinite worth in heaven. We're backwards. We're going the wrong way on a one-way street. And James, in this blunt language, is placing a road sign in front of us. It's like that special paint they use that you can only really see it if there's a black light in the room, you know, and then the paint glows, you know, the black light stuff. You party people know what I'm talking about, you know, the raves, all you went through, that kind of stuff. That's what this is. James is applying the black light of God's perspective to our world. He's saying this is what's really there. And when he does that, what we see is that riches are actually connected to misery, that wealth ultimately rots, and that silver and gold corrode. And that corrosion burns. Why? Because we missed this kingdom truth. Instead of using people to gain resources for our kingdom, we must use resources to gain people for God's kingdom. This is the eternal economy. This is how we are to live And the road sign that James is placing actually says that it's our lack of generosity and lack of giving fair wages to those around us. It cries out against us. It accuses us. Now, this isn't just an employer conversation. It's about having a generous spirit, one that gives, one that cares for others, one that looks outward, not just inward. 
but we get stuck thinking that all the stuff in my life is just made for me. That that's the goal is just to accumulate, right? But all of that can get easily out of balance. See, our problem is not having good things. Our problem is making good things ultimate things. That the stuff, the wealth, the things is ultimately what matters in the end. And this is telling us it's just the opposite. So what do we do? We recognize that the temporary good things are to be used to gain eternal, ultimate things. And often here is where we stop short. To say, I have this for me, right? Well, that's step one. But step two says, I have this for me, and I can also now use it for others. That's when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, an eternal thing. And this is what we're called to do. There was, uh, years ago, two young men, they were working their way through Stanford University, and their funds got low. And so they decided, well, we'll put on a concert. And they said, well, we'll engage Pederewski, the, the great concert pianist from Poland. We'll, we'll hire him. They worked with his manager who said well, he's going to need $2,000 to do this event. They said, yes, we can do that. And so they went out and they sold tickets upon tickets and put this event together. And in the end, the concert happened, but they had only raised $1,600. And so afterwards, they sought out this great artist and told him, what had happened, said, we only raised $1,600. We're here to give it all to you, and we'll give you an IOU, a, a note, a promissory note for the other $400 that we owe you. And uh, we just, we're just so sorry we couldn't come up with all 2000 And Pederewski listened to them. He said, no, gentlemen, that, that won't do. And so he tore that note up to shreds. He returned the money to them. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the $1,600 out of it, take all of your expenses for this event, and then I want you each to pay yourselves 10% for all the work you've put into this, and then you can give me what's left over. They were amazed at his generosity and thanked him. And the years rolled by, years of fortune and destiny. And in that time, Pederewski became the premier of Poland. And it was then that the devastating war came. And he was striving with all of his might to, to feed the starving masses of the people in his country. And there was only one person in the world who could help him, who could help Pederewski and his people. And so the help came. It came from the United States of America. Thousands of tons of food began to, to pour into Poland to be distributed by him. And after the starving people were fed, Pederewski journeyed to Paris to thank that man. The man's name was Herbert Hoover. And after he thanked him, Hoover turned and said to him, you know, that's all right, Mr. Pederewski. Besides, I'm just paying back a favor. You don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student in college and I was in a hole for putting on a concert. You see, generosity can have an eternal lifespan where greed can only go as far as this life. This is why we're called to live in an eternal economy. It's the only thing that won't rot away. 
I think of, of what we do this time of year at our church. Every year, this time of year, we take what we call our harvest offering. And as some of you know, last year was a gifts year, and this year is a lights year. We go every other. Meaning last year, we were able to help to invest in creating jobs for at-risk girls in Cambodia. We were able to wipe out the school lunch debt for the 4J and the Bethel School District. Those were some of the gifts of the harvest offering last year. But this year is a lights year where we get to invest directly in bringing the gospel to our community through sound and music and light at the fairgrounds. It is a free gift to our town, and it is a gift that our town is desperate for. Our town is longing for hope and life. Now, as you may know, the lights requires a lot to put on. It requires a lot of money and time and volunteers of every gifting, whether it's for setup or teardown or, of course, during the weekend shows. But this is our Christmas present to our town. And it's worth it because we're investing in eternity. Now, in addition to that, I have another amazing announcement I get to make to you. This year, our Christmas Eve services will be a drive-up event presented at our light stage at the Lane Events Center. It's amazing, a drive-up Christmas Eve service. Now, here's why we're doing that. We realize that we could have had a whole bunch of Christmas Eve services at our, our location, at our campus, indoor Christmas Eve services, just like we've done in the past. We could do it inside our building. But we also knew that no matter how many services we would put on there, there would still be a large percentage of people because of COVID and maybe for other reasons that would never attend an indoor Christmas Eve service. They would just not, not show up for that. So we asked the question, what opens the door for the gospel the widest? And the answer, a drive up Christmas Eve service. There will be five of them. Two on December 23rd, three on December 24th. Music, lights, and the message of hope for all people. Presented in the most COVID-safe expression possible. You sit in your car, you watch the stage and the lights, you listen to it through your radio, and you experience the love of Jesus. And those who haven't been able to go to a church service, perhaps for a year because of COVID, perhaps those that would just not be comfortable going into a church building, these folks can go to a unique Christmas Eve service and experience the love of Jesus for themselves. And they can hear the story of God's love for them firsthand. We are opening the door wide for that to happen and that is an investment we're making. We're making that investment when it comes to the lights, when it comes to our Christmas Eve services. And it does cost. It costs time. It costs talent. It costs treasure. And so we're inviting you to respond just as James is inviting all of us to invest in the eternal. To begin praying even now about how you're going to participate in the harvest offering. And, and because we'll be taking that offering on the week of December 6th, you can start praying now. And I mention that because it's a reminder to us that we are to purchase the eternal with the temporal. That's why we have it. That's what it's for. We allow everything we have to be used for God's kingdom. That is what James is trying to get us to see, because that's what it means to live in an eternal economy. 
That's the first thing. Here's the second. We are called to walk in a steadfast patience. Let's continue with the passage, James 5, 7 through 11. Big voices go. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. I love the imagery of this road sign. It's that of a farmer. Now, I have never farmed, but I have been around my share of farmers. And I have one observation about farmers. Farmers work hard all the time. They work hard all the time. And even though the harvest only happens once a year, they are working every day in the anticipation of that harvest. They're mending fences, and they're fixing tractors, and they're running irrigation lines, and they're taking out weeds, and they're building sheds, and they're cleaning tools, and they're cutting the sleeves off of flannel shirts because that's the look for a farmer. There's a lot involved in farming. They work every day in anticipation of one day. And James is saying that that is what kingdom life is all about. That the return of Jesus is the day. That is the harvest. And all of us are working and living in anticipation of that one day that everything we do points to that day. And a farmer knows that they can still be working for the harvest even though they don't yet see the harvest. No farmer sits around the day after he planted tomato seeds and is like, where's my tomatoes? Why aren't the tomatoes here? This is, this is no good. No tomatoes, that's it. I'm tearing it up. I'm going to round up the whole thing. No, no farmer does that. A farmer is patient. A farmer knows that their inability to see what's happening has no bearing on if it's happening. In fact, they work towards what is yet to be seen. The farmer is building tomato cages and he's building a fence to keep out the rabbits and he's preparing the bins to store the tomatoes in and he's fixing the blender for the salsa yet to come. These are really acts of faith. As Hebrew says, the evidence of things not yet seen. He's preparing what can be seen for that which is currently unseen. It's an investment into the harvest. This is what we do. I invest now for what I'll see later. And James is saying the key investment for us here is patience. Now, I don't know that a farmer really would get impatient with tomatoes and tomato plants because they know how it works. But a farmer may get impatient with the person who helped them plant it. I mean, more than anything else, we get impatient with people, don't we? We get irritated with people. We get short with people. Perhaps you've noticed a little bit of that 
during this last election cycle. We're a little bit impatient with each other. So James dives right into that. James 5, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Ooh. Now, did you hear that? <laughs> I'm not making it up. It's right there in Scripture. But, but you got to ask yourself, certainly James couldn't have meant that. He didn't really mean to say that. That's not very 2020, is it? I mean, we've got problems. And how will people know about the problems if we don't grumble about all of the problems? Think of how different this last year would have been if every person who follows Jesus just took that one scripture and lived it. But no, we in America, we, we've made grumbling a pastime. We made it a profession. We've made it an inalienable right, which is why in these days, it feels like we're constantly on each other's last nerve, aren't we? I've, I told several people this story. You know, I, I do weddings throughout the year, and I've done one recently and, uh, in, during COVID. And, um, and I got a call from the clerk of the marriage license place where the licenses go after you send it in. And, and the clerk was just super irritated with me because I had forgot to put in the date. On, on the marriage license. And, and they're like, you know, the details, there was a lady, she said, the details really, really matter. And you pastors always forget this kind of stuff. She's totally reprimanding me like a child. You pastors always forget this stuff and you never think about the details. And she says, she says, this, she says if you think you're going to like do more weddings in the future, you really got to think through this kind of stuff. I'm like, ma'am, I'm really sorry. I, I, I do lots of weddings. I've probably done 70 weddings. It's the first time this has ever happened to me in my life, but I'm so sorry. I'll get the date for you. Maybe you could fill it in. Well, I can do it. I shouldn't have to do it, but I can do it. I'm like, again, I'm so sorry. We'll just get the date filled in. It'll be great. Well, she's like, you just better remember in the future, the details matter. You got to think about this stuff. She never let me off the hook. Never did. No, nothing, no grace, nothing. I hung up. And so what do I do? I go and tell everybody else how this woman just treated me. I start to whine about her. And after I told a few folks the story, I started to think, you know, maybe I really wasn't that considerate of her. I mean, who knows what's going on in her life? She, there could be a lot of stuff going on in her life. And really, should, should she have to call me because of my mistake? Of all the people, I should have caught that. This isn't my first rodeo. I should have seen that coming. And I realized that in my grumbling about her grumbling, I proved that I am just as much of a grumbler. That's the problem. We're all surrounded by reasons to be impatient with one another. But God wants to surround us with the grace to set one another free. As we are waiting for Jesus to come back and for this broken world to finally be made new, we must remember we will always have opportunities to be impatient. But God is giving us a road sign to choose grace, grace for one another. While waiting for God's plan, we must not react against God's people. And this is going to require the perspective of a farmer who works very hard today for what will only be realized tomorrow. These are the seeds we are planting, the seeds of patience. Patience is like that. And we are called to walk in a steadfast, 
patience. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. We are called to model a consistent life. James 5, verse 12, let's read it, big voices, go. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Understand, folks, that many Jewish people in the times that James was writing, they made a distinction between what was known as binding oaths and non-binding oaths. Oaths that did not include the name of God were considered non-binding. It was kind of like crossing your fingers behind your back when you want to tell a lie. They're saying that that thing didn't count. That's what they would do. They did that back then. I guess we still do. Ours usually involves lawyers, but we still do it. It's these kinds of oaths that James is condemning. But in a very Jamesy way, he cuts to the chase. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Really simple, it's a road sign. In a broader sense, he's saying, live what you say. We are called to model a consistent life. That I do what I tell you I will do, and more importantly, I am who I tell you I am. Now we all see the problem with this, don't we? Because we're all broken. We're all hypocritical to some extent. Meaning that I can believe this, but I can end up doing this. And so the most honest descriptor I have found for myself is the one that Paul used for himself. He's called himself the chief of sinners. <laughs> well, that's who I am too. But Jesus tells me and those like me, that's not all that we are. I am a chief of sinners saved by relentless grace. And so are you. I am ransomed by the one who values me equal to his own life. See, this is the whole picture that although I am broken, I do not give up on wholeness. Although I am fallen, I still seek the fullness of heaven. I refuse to lose sight of God's ideal because that is where grace wants to take me, which is ultimately a consistent life. That there is no difference between what I say and what I do. Remember, that is the very nature of God, isn't it? There is no difference between what God says and what God does. Remember in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. He said, let there be plants and animals. Then there was plants and animals. There's no difference between what God says and what God does. Not true for us. I can say one thing. I can do another. I can hold this value and I can violate it with my behavior. I can tell you gossip is a sin, but I can feel justified in slamming you on Facebook. I can fight to make sure that murderers get justice and I can at the same time be a murderer because of the anger in my own heart. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. So what's the solution? Sin makes us inconsistent, but grace makes consistency possible. The closer I get to who Jesus really is, 
the more I live out who I really am. And this answer is echoed in John 15, verse 5. Abide in the vine, because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do everything. We are called to model this consistent life that's found in him. I'd wrap up with this. I think we would all say that even if they're an inconvenience, we appreciate road signs, don't we? Not because they make us feel good or that they inspire us with their clever prose. No, we appreciate them because they save us from calamity. They guide us when the road ahead is unknown. James is doing that with this passage today. He's setting signs on our path that will actually keep us from the brink. Signs like construction zone, generosity required. Signs like traffic ahead, apply patience. Signs like character inside is consistent with image outside. These are the road signs of James 5, where we're invited to live for an eternal economy not just this life's economy, where we can choose to be patient, especially with one another, and where we can allow God's grace to make us the same person on the inside that we would hope to appear as on the outside. And if we would heed these road signs and the signs of God's kingdom, not only will we get to our destination, but we can help others get there as well. Let's pray.